But we're going to uh, continue our stewardship um, Bible study. I don't have the graphic up today, but it doesn't care. It doesn't matter. I don't care. Um, we're going to talk about stuff. That's very vague in general, but we're going to talk about stuff and how possessions can take possession of us and how we are to handle the stuff that we get and how we can let go of the stuff that we get when we need to let go of it and how we can exalt Jesus with the stuff that we have. So um, let's pray and then we'll get started. Jesus, thank you. I thank you that tonight as we uh, study and as we endeavor to just read through your word, we got a lot of stuff, Lord. You are a very gracious and generous God. We live in a, in a country where some of the stuff we have is just unparalleled to the rest of what the rest of the world has. You know, clean water. Lord, we have uh, roofs over our head, warm houses. You know, we, have, we have clothes that, gosh, we've, we, we have clothes in our closet that we haven't even seen in the last year or two. That we have so much, we have so much stuff, Lord. Our televisions get bigger and bigger and our cars get fancier and our phones get quicker and and, and we just have we have this abundance of stuff and so Lord I pray that you would um through this tonight uh, we don't want to we don't want to lose sight of who you are we want to look to Jesus and see how we are to use these things that you have uh, graciously bestowed upon us that we would uh, have these things be tools and instruments and, and not become idols uh, in our lives so Jesus, in all these things, we submit ourselves to you. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to nothing less than the miraculous work of your uh, of your Son Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And I pray that uh, even as questions may be answered, that even more questions would arise, that the intimacy that we can have between us and you would increase, that we would know you better, that we would walk with you closer and just enjoy our time with you, that we'd see it as precious, that we'd see it as rare, we'd see it as, as something to hold on to rather than something that can be glossed over so quickly. So Lord, we love you and we praise you. May Jesus be high and lifted up. In your name we pray, amen. So if you don't have one already, let me know. I'll get you some more pens. There's a whole bot. We ordered a thousand, and I think we gave out maybe 50 on Sunday, if that. I'm being uh, a little uh, less than conservative with that number. So if you want some pins, go ahead. You know, today I went to the bank and they sent the little tube through the machine and everything. When I was all done, I just stuck one of our pins in their tube. You know, hopefully somebody will take the <laughs> weird to say. Hopefully somebody will steal that pen and see South Bay Chapel and be like, "Oh, South Bay Chapel! I'll check them out." Because um, you know everybody's snagging pens from the bank. That's number one bank resource or number one pen resource in our area. All right, so turn to let's see. Turn to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to go over a very familiar story um, that, uh, you know, for me, as I revisited it, I realized, hey, there's some things that I kind of took for granted, uh, thought I understood. As I revisited the scriptures, I realized, oh, yeah, this is this is the story. These are, there's some things that I assumed that aren't really there. So we're going to go back, refamiliarize ourselves with this story. And learn what it means to be a steward of stuff. Um, you know, if I just believe people who have lived before me, I live in an age where we have so much stuff. It is uncanny. It is unparalleled to just a generation ago. I read something online. Um, uh, it was it was food that kids nowadays aren't familiar with children who grew up or people who grew up in the depression era things that they had to rely upon uh to eat on a daily basis you know for me i never had to eat squirrel you know i never had to eat squirrel but for some folks that finding a squirrel that day was the difference between uh, having a full belly or, or or going hungry for the day um i praise god that i've never lived that way you know i've never had to to live that way i've, I've lived in an age where uh, you know, the 80s and 90s, everybody, everything was growing. The economy was growing. And in spite of some of the economic crashes of our country, you know, still two cars in every driveway and, and people own their own homes and, 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 and boats and things like that. We just have an abundance of stuff. You know, in the early 2000s, I remember Sarah and I, we got our first cell phone. It was this little dinky thing. It had a blue screen and it was it was just black, a black LCD screen with a blue backlight, and 
you couldn't hardly do anything with it. And here we are 15 years later and my phone, I can do anything with my phone. I can go online. You know, if somebody uh, says something interesting and I don't really know what they're talking about, I can go on my phone and just pull up something online. What does that mean? What is that? Oh, okay, I see what they're talking about. And I can instantly know and be a part of their conversation, whether they're talking about some meal they're cooking or some hobby that they're interested in, um, some music or, or band that they might know about. I mean, we just have an abundance of stuff. Um, I'm always, you know, I've got three or four Bibles at home. This is my main Bible here, but I'm always looking at Bibles. And I, and I saw one the other day, caught my eye, it was this, like, this greenish color, had this, you know, whatever they call it on the front, embossed on it. I'm like, wow, that's a, that's a nice looking Bible. It's only $20. Wow, I could get that Bible. Why should I buy that Bible? I mean, yes, it's the Bible and it's good and all that, but, but I have so many Bibles. Why would I buy another one? Just to buy one? We have so much stuff. And the problem with stuff is that stuff can start to control us when we begin to fear losing the stuff. When our standard of living takes a hit, sometimes we freak out and we, we run to God when all that's happened is our abundance has been hit. It's not our daily necessity. Now, there are some folks who their job gets taken away, which then takes away from the house payment and the insurance and the car payment, and they could potentially go down a really bad road, but sometimes it's, it's I don't get to take a vacation this year. Well, that's that's an abundant that's an abundance thing. I mean, you're still alive, you're still breathing, you still have food, you're still warm, your children are taken care of. There's two ways to fall on this on this balance beam that we're trying to walk when it comes to God's word. Some fall on to the side of poverty, and they'll preach and teach that well, Christians should have nothing. They should take vows of poverty, give away all their stuff, give away all their money, not earn any money. Um, and just and just live this life of poverty, and that's the most glorifying way to uh, to live and, and to exalt the name of Jesus. And then there's others who fall uh, not into poverty but into prosperity, and in that that every Christian should be rich, and if a Christian's not rich, they don't have faith, and um, and, and a Christian should have a multitude of cars and mansions and land and. And, and and suits and, and and all kinds of stuff and, and vacation homes and vacation all the time and so they'll look at both sides of that and say well one is godly and one is not they'll look at each other and sort of fight and bicker and I would tell you that right in the balance of that prosperity is not evil poverty is not evil it's the idolatry of either one that is evil when you idolat I make an idol of poverty and it sounds weird to say it, but some folks do that. When you make an idol of poverty, you're idol worshiping. You're not worshiping the Lord. And when you when you worship uh, prosperity as an idol, you no longer have Jesus as the number one, you know, king of your heart. Now prosperity is. And so right in the middle, where where we realize that God blesses His children, and there are times where we're going to lose and or give up things. Um, that's where we're going to exist and live. And so we're going to. Read the story of, of the rich young man or the rich young ruler found in Matthew chapter 19. And if you haven't turned there already, turn there, please. First, I'll read Matthew 16 and 24, which says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's the, that's the strange life that God has called us to. Where, where losing is actually gaining and hoarding is actually losing. You know, I, I watched this show. I've only seen a few episodes, but there's these ep this show called Doomsday Preppers. And they um, basically these folks believe that some catastrophic event is going to hit this uh, our country or our planet at some point, and um, they need to, to, to be prepared. Some of them are genius. Some of the things they come up with, you just think to yourself, you're you're a genius. You're a mad scientist. Saw this one couple. They they were converting their the 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 waste from pigs, you know, pigs poop and feces, um, into they were they were drawing the methane gas from it and then filtering that through their home to use as the natural gas of their stoves. So if 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 gas supplies or propane should dry out, well, pigs are not going to stop going to the bathroom. They're going to have this endless supply of gas to heat their home and and to cook their food genius but here's the the 
here's the the same thing I saw in every person, and I've only seen a few episodes, six to ten different couples or individuals, never satisfied. Some folks with 20, 30 years of food stockpiled, can't stop, got to keep going, got to have 40 years. Get to 40 years, got to have 50 years. No satisfaction in life. The stuff or the preparation or the, the idea of pursuing this was never enough. Now, just last year, I was sharing this with John earlier, just last year, a tornado narrowly missed, you know, it went around our home and hit a tree. When that was all happening, we were running to the basement where we have a, a little bit of canned goods, blankets, candles, flashlights. Because realistically, in our area, that type of stuff can happen, right? And you pray, but at some point you go, you know what? This is out of my hands now. It, it, it's all the Lord at this point. And I'm going to do what I can to stay safe, but my, my life is in the hands of the Lord. And so there's a point where stuff possesses us rather than us possessing the stuff. And so if we can, if we can stay right in the middle, right in that area where we're not, we're not foolish with our things or we're not just giving them up for the sake of being religious or we're not worshiping them because we have so much stuff. If we stay right here, this is the place where we'll most glorify Jesus. So, excuse me, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Um, we're going to read about 14 verses. We're going to read half and half, make a couple of observations, and then go home. So Matthew 19, and behold, this is verse 16, and behold, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he, that is Jesus, said to him, Excuse me, why do you ask about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, I, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That's the classic story. We're all kind of familiar with that, some of us more than others. Let me make a, a few observations before we kind of get to the lesson tonight. Number one, um, this is not a meeting between Jesus and a man individually. There's an audience. Um, compare this to when Jesus met Nicodemus. It's just Jesus and Nicodemus. Compare this to when Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Here, there's an audience. The disciples are there. What was happening just prior to this? If you go to the scriptures right before this, Jesus has just welcomed in the little children. They've come to him. Parents have brought them to be blessed. The disciples have rebuked the children. And Jesus said, no, let them come. You know, Let the children come in. They love Jesus. Jesus was fun to be around. And he loved having the children all around them. So, so as those guys are kind of straggling and they're kind of around in this crowd, this young man comes up. Um, another observation. This man was young and rich. Usually young men aren't rich, and if they are rich, they're not rich for very long, because young men are often foolish men. This man was probably less than 40 years old, and being rich would have been seen as a sign of favor from God. It's the natural default mode of human nature to think that if somebody has a lot of things, well, God must love them. And if somebody has nothing, well, God must hate them. God must be mad at them. He's not giving them stuff so that he must not be too pleased with them. And if you're on God's side, then nothing bad happens to you. And if you're against God, then God can just annihilate you when he wants to. We went to this retreat a couple weeks ago. And uh, they let us – it was a retreat for, for parents with kids with cancer. And they let us share our story with the other parents. And I explained to them that you know I'm the only one there that's in ministry or as a pastor – you know, there's a couple people on worship teams and things like that, but, but I was the only one that had a, a pastor position, and I told them that one of the things people kind of marvel at when I tell them my story is that because I'm on God's side, I don't have like this free ride. 
that that nothing they feel as though if I'm if I'm a pastor or if I'm serving God in this way then I certainly must not suffer like everybody else and I told them it's actually the opposite I find that that the way that we suffer uh, often is amplified in such a way to to help teach other people um there are times where other people suffer way more than we do I mean I met people there that I was astonished by their story and the near-death experiences and the and the and the prognosis or the diagnosis that left them with days of life when it turns out that these children were either healed or or the doctors were just wrong. But there are times where um, we as as pastors, any pastors, suffer just like anybody, or so, sometimes even worse. Um, I I genuinely believe that God uh, uses those experiences. Not not to inflict pain upon us, just to be you know, or that he can't protect us, but to best teach and lead people. I think the best shepherds are the ones that can can empathize and sympathize with the sheep that he's leading. And so, if I lived a life that was free of pain, and then you came to me, John, and said, "I'm going through all this pain," I, I couldn't couldn't realistically say, "I know what you're going through," or be able to relate to you. I'd just be some guy up and elevated above you that that you couldn't really you could share with me but you'd walk away going he doesn't know what I'm going through even so much that the book of Hebrews said that says that Jesus is is the high priest uh, our high priest that's not unfamiliar with suffering Jesus himself has suffered we can come to him and he's not this high lifted up God that's far away and distant to where we have to curry his attention but we can go to him and we know that he suffered just like us it's it's not a god who's unfamiliar with pain or suffering he's a god who's very familiar the bible says with pain and with suffering the young man says teacher what good deed must i do to have eternal life and jesus says uh it says he said to him why do you ask me about what is good there's only one who is good you see a lot of people will claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Um, at the very least, you get to his, uh, his his trial, and he's telling them, yes, I and the Father are one. I don't know where people come up with this argument, but but they have it. Here is a is a is an inference, if you will, of Jesus saying that him and the Father are one. He says, why are you asking me about what's good? There's only one who is good. Why would you come to me if there's only one who is good? This also goes uh, along with what I taught on Sunday or preached about on Sunday. Um, some folks see the world as good people and bad people. And truthfully, there are people who I'd rather uh, – there's people who I trust to come into my home more than others. You know, like my, my father-in-law, he's got a key to my house. Well, it says house, but he, you know, he wants to come and go as he pleases. That's fine with me. Um, there's other people I wouldn't just walk up to the randomly and say, here's a key to my house. You know, go and do whatever you want in my house. I wouldn't wouldn't do that. Um, but the idea that positionally before Jesus, that there are some who are good and there are some who, who are bad, Jesus said there is one who is good. There's one who's good. That's God. That's, that's Jehovah God, the Yahweh God, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all together, the Trinitarian God. He alone is good. Even as we are forgiven, even as we are found in Christ, our goodness comes from him, not, not from our own inherent goodness. We have no inherent goodness. The Bible tells us that uh, the heart, who can know the heart? The heart's bent on, on evil and destruction at all times. It's, it's, just, it's bent towards the wrong direction. And so even as we are forgiven in Jesus, until, until that day comes where we're completely changed and transformed, the Bible says, well... We have Jesus' goodness. We have his righteousness. We have his perfection that we stand in. Not our own, but his. Talked about stuff does not necessarily equal favor. You know, some people wrongly will assess and judge that you have stuff, God must love you. Other religions teach and preach that. You know, if you're suffering, if you're going through something bad, well, God's obviously absent or gone or just doesn't care about you at all. That's not true. Um, I think that God rewards his children. The Bible tells us that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Um, we must believe that he is. Um, Jesus tells his disciples that there is none who have left anything that will not be paid back 30, 60, or 100-fold in this lifetime. 
I believe that God rewards his children always and in ways that are not because we earned or merited anything. We have not done anything other than just be a child of God of which we had very little choice. God chose us. And so I believe that reward is really an issue of, of refinement. That when we do do something that merits reward, God rewards us. When there's times where God simply loves us and gives to us, then, then he rewards us. I believe there are times where we show ourselves worthy of, of, of little, so he gives us more. So I, I don't necessarily see uh, having stuff as favor and not having stuff as, as a discipline. But I see having stuff as more of a refinement and a test than anything. You know, uh, there's an old saying that um, if you want to know a man... Give him a little bit of power. Give him a title, and you'll really see what that man's made of. Made of. If if you give a man something that maybe they they maybe even idolized, sometimes giving them that thing in, ends up in their folly. So simply saying that giving giving somebody something is an idea of favor, it can be, but not solely and exclusively. You know, uh, in Romans chapter one and two, um, Paul says that. There are those who pursue the creation rather than the creator. And for those to show them their own folly, he gives them that. And, and sometimes that's, a, that's a, an extension of God's grace to let them see their folly. You might say, well, that still looks pretty good. But yeah, it's going to end in their destruction. It's going to hopefully end in them lifting up their hands and surrender saying, Lord, you've given me everything and yet I found that this is nothing. So... This young man, right off the bat, we can make one big assumption about him, and it's a safe assumption. He's a liar. He's a liar because he is not keeping the commandments from day one. Why? It's impossible. There's something wrong here. Jesus has said, keep all the commandments. Don't murder, don't steal, don't this, don't that. And he's like, oh, yeah, I did them all. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't trust him. I, I trust Jesus. I trust that Jesus has seen through this facade. It says, truly, excuse me, i got to go back a little bit. Um, if you would be perfect, go and sell it, uh, what you possess and give to the poor, and what you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, he doesn't just tell the young ruler, just go sell all your stuff, then you'll be okay. He says, go sell all your stuff, follow me. Uh, we see a, a man named Zacchaeus do this. The wee little man up in the tree, all that. He was a tax collector who cheated his fellow Jews out of money. And when he came to know Christ, he repented, and he paid back everyone he cheated four times the amount that he took from them. Um, because he worked for the Roman government, he would go and he would collect taxes. Let's say the tax was five bucks. He'd say, hey, give me seven bucks. He'd pocket the two, gave Rome the five. And he built up wealth. Well, if he took 20 bucks from this person, he gave him back 80 because he knew the first repentance paying back those he had cheated and wrong. Um, and also, what had once possessed him no longer did. The, the wealth, the money, the, the stature, the, it, all that was, was way distant to just following Jesus. And this rich young ruler, or this rich young man, is given that command, go sell everything and follow me. Similar to what Peter and, and, and Andrew and James and John did. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. What did they do? dropped everything and took off this man has a different reaction though it says when the young man heard this he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions so jesus says go sell all your stuff and follow me i really believe that what jesus has done here is he has attacked this man's religious heart and instead of it melting his heart as it does with some it hardens his heart he walks away saying i I got a lot of stuff. Maybe he thought to himself, and I'm speculating, so you know, please, this is not gospel. It's just me imagining myself in his position. Maybe he thought, I I worked for all that stuff. Do you know how many you know how many hours I put in to pay off those things? Or maybe maybe that was a gift from my father. That was my inheritance. If I give this away, I have nothing to leave for my children. Maybe maybe it was out of jealousy. Maybe it was out of greed. Maybe it was just um, the security he found in his stuff. We don't know. We just know that he walked away sorrowful. He didn't drop his, his nets and follow like 
Peter and Andrew did. He didn't. Uh, he didn't turn away from his father uh, like uh, like James and John did, and just follow after Jesus. He walks away sorrowful. Now, if we stop right here, we would be tempted to say, "Okay, we all got to sell our stuff. Okay, that's the only way that Christians have to handle this. You got to sell all your stuff. You can't have anything, and that's how you follow Jesus." But we're going to look at this contextually. We're going to look at this as it appears in the whole chapter of, of uh, chapter 19. Verse 23 says, And Jesus said to the disciples, Now he's turned from the young man. All the disciples have been watching. All the people gathered around. Maybe even the kids running around. Now he's turned back to the disciples. Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What day is it? Hump day. Talking about camels. Thought, as I was studying, I thought about that. Like, that's going to be cool. It's going to be a lame joke, but I'm going to make it anyways. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Notice that the difference between the hearts of the disciples and the rich young man. The rich young man hears virtually the same thing, and he walks away sorrowful. He doesn't question Jesus. He doesn't ask any more questions. He just, once Jesus got that pinprick into his heart that touched on the idol that was there, he walked away. This was too much. But the disciples, they kept asking questions. Well, then who? Then how does this work, Lord? If, if, if it's impossible for rich men to get into heaven, then how, do they, how does it work? Is it, it, does nobody get in? They kept pursuing. They kept asking. They kept digging. I find it so intriguing that there are some who will be presented with the grace of Jesus and walk away. Some will run. Some will be defiant. Some will be rebellious. And some will just melt like, like snow on a sunny day. Just their hearts will just crumble. They'll fall before the Lord. And they'll just, they'll just ask, Lord, please. They'll just come in. They'll be, they'll be, uh, that intimacy will grow between them and the Lord. Verse 26, one of the best verses of all of the Gospels. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his, uh, on his glorious throne, you, will have follow, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. A few more observations. Jesus says that it's difficult for the rich to be saved. Why is that? Is it because it's a different process? No. Same gospel, same Jesus, same need for repentance, same need for forgiveness. But if you've ever had more than a few dollars in your pocket, if things are going really well, don't you find that your relationship with Jesus sort of, it's almost as if things just back off. Now, some of you might be saying, I've never had those times where things weren't hard. Okay. There are times where, where maybe you've got a little more money than you need. You, things aren't going wrong at work. Relationships are going well. And, and you don't press into the Lord quite as hard. But when times come, when the great storms of life come, then, man, we press right into the Lord. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's human nature. But now think about people who have so much money, so much time, so much, so much talent. They have so much that, that they, they lose tens of, thousand dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in a day, and they don't even flinch. You know, if you've ever... If you've ever been to a casino and you've seen the, these guys, they just they start playing like like blackjack and they're playing five hundred dollars a hand. Or have you ever watched these poker tournaments on TV where these guys have mountains of chips and they'll bet fifty, sixty thousand dollars on one single hand and lose it all and just be like, yeah, deal me the next hand. They matter to them. They're so above the little problems that we have. I mean, they're big to us, but we've came to them and said, hey, you know. I have this $500 bill. I don't know what I'm going to do for them. $500 bill is a way of life. They're, they're, they got a lot more zeros after their problems. 
for them, there's such a buffer between them and life that sometimes the need for a savior is not really, really prevalent. And that's what we see in the rich young man. He doesn't come asking for salvation. He comes asking for eternal life. He doesn't come asking for forgiveness or, or, or for a way to repent. He just says, Lord, how do I get more? How do I get more from you? How do I, how, how do I capitalize on this? What's the one good deed I can do? It sounds more like he was American than anything else. What's the one thing I do so I get everything? He wasn't asking for forgiveness. He, he saw himself as flawless. You ever met somebody who was like that? Saw, saw themselves as perfect? You don't hang around with them too long. It gets really, really hard to be around those people who see themselves as perfect, who see themselves as, as, as attaining everything. And, and sometimes it's learned and sometimes it's their nature, but nonetheless, it's hard. This man wasn't asking for forgiveness. He was asking on how to capitalize on one, one specific good deed. The man went away sorrowful. Why did he go away sorrowful? Because he was an idol worshiper. He worshipped his stuff. His stuff was in his heart. And the minute Jesus got near it, it was over. Contrast this with the book of Acts, the first couple of chapters, when the early church just explodes. One of the first reactions to the Holy Spirit infiltrating these men and women's lives was that, oh, hey, you got a need? You know what? I got this over here. Let me sell it. I'll help you meet that need. Oh, you don't have enough food? Here, let me bring you some of my food. Oh, you need some work done in your home? Let me go do some work on your home for you. You have a need? Let me help fill that need. I have a need? You're going to come help me with my need? Awesome. No command, no specific edict to go and do this or that thing. It was a, I call it a supernatural reaction in the people to just want to help. This man doesn't have that. You can call it lack of the Holy Spirit. You can call it whatever. But, I mean, he stood face to face with Jesus. So he has very little excuse. He was an idol worshiper. And I, I can guarantee you, if you want to get really irate, let somebody knock down any idol in your life. And we all have them. We all have, sometimes our idols aren't little stone figures that we keep in our garden or our home. Sometimes it's a, it's a specific time of the day. Maybe it's a hobby we have. Maybe it's it's how much money we have in the bank. It's just it's something that once it's removed, we lose it. What is that thing in us? What is that thing that we look at? And as long as we have that, we're okay. I guarantee you, that's become an idol in your life. Now, you want to get smart, take away air, then I'll die. Okay, wise guy. What I'm talking about here is if you take away this job and I have a lesser job. I'll die. If you take away my wife or children or my husband, I will die. If you take away my health, I'll lose it. If you if you just if you take away these things from me, if you take my car, if you take my 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 superficial stuff, I know the people of this church. There's nobody here who's going to to bail on Jesus because maybe their TV was taken away. But what if what if what if their life savings were taken away? You know, I don't have a 401k. Um, I have special K, but not 401k. Uh, lame pastor joke, but um, but I've met people with 401ks who, you know, bad day of the stock market. They're like, yeah, we just lost thirty thousand dollars today from my retirement fund, and there's nothing I can do about it. That's that's a tough hit. If your if your only security in life is that, then I see why people get really distraught when those days happen. For the Christian though. We echo what Abraham says about God. He is, our, he is our reward, our great and mighty shield. We understand that there is nothing that God, that God has already given us his only son. What more can he give us? Think about that for a moment. What else in this universe could God give us that would even come close to the, to the worth of his son? Rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. He has already given you that. See, when we come and ask him for other things, we can ask him for anything. But understand this, when we ask for, whether it's a healing, provision, uh, financial things, whatever it is, 
we are asking for something far below what he's already given us in Jesus. Um, that does not guarantee our desired outcome. That does not guarantee that we will always get the healing. Jesus says that with, with man, this might be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. doesn't mean all things will happen. It just means that all things are possible. There are no limits upon the God that we serve. The only thing we find is that he has a will, and there's a time, uh, and there are seasons of suffering, and there are times and seasons of, of great rest and, and, and seemingly less suffering. Ask yourself that tough question. What if, if, if something was, if this specific thing was taken, if it was, if it was taken out of my hand, out of my life, how would I react? It's hard to kind of role play like that because nobody's taking that one thing from you. But what if it was? You know, I look around the room. We've all suffered great loss. There's nobody here who has not suffered loss. Um, and sometimes, I know for me specifically, I won't speak for you guys, but for me, those losses taught me the difference between who and what I worshipped. I realized in my great loss, if Jesus really was my rock and if he really was if he really was my salvation in those times of great loss. I also want you guys to see yourselves, just this, the few people in our room tonight, we are rich. We are, we are, when we compare ourselves to the rest of the world, just the fact that we have the ability to go to our kitchens and turn on a faucet and have clean water coming out, we are far better than, than a vast majority of our planet who who have to boil water or use filtration systems or just simply have to suffer through parasites and, and contamination because the water they drink uh, runs alongside or runs with the, the sewage that they dump or, or the garbage that they dump in their town. We, we go to our faucets and we have chlorinated water. Thing, it just It's clean. And then we can filter it if we want to. Spend a few more bucks, filter out the chlorine that was killing everything. We're rich. We we have enough food in our homes, some of us, to feed small armies. If we really needed to, if there was a real uh, emergency, we could have people come to our home and we could feed them for a few days, some even weeks. We, we have canned goods that will out outlive us. We have, we have foods that have been dehydrated and, and prepared in such a way that, gosh, if you just left them on the shelf and nothing got to them, They'd be ready in a, in a moment's notice 10, 20 years from now. We, we have the ability to get a job, and we have people fighting to make sure that we make 8 and 10 and $12 an hour just to start. There are people around the world that that's all they make in a day, and that's if they have a good job. That's if they have, a, if they have the job that everybody else wants. That they'll make that much in a day, and we, you know, we, can, we can go and, and do a mediocre job and earn 10 and 12 and 15 bucks an hour and live a pretty nice life. We have health insurance. Some of us do. Cars. We, I just drove from the from here to Florida and back. And it took me like 30 hours one way and 25 hours the way back. You know, can you imagine men like Lewis and Clark what they would have done if they had a vehicle? I mean, they did, they they went all across our country with like wagons and horses and their bare feet. Like what would they have done if they had an SUV? And they would have just they would have tore up this country like in no time. We have we have the ability to just be somewhere in a matter of moments. We are so blessed, we are so rich, and we believe this lie that unless we reach a certain level that our culture has set, that we're not that we're poor. I can tell you that according to national numbers, I am far below the poverty line. But that's only according to their numbers. In my life, I am very rich. I, I'm the wealthiest man that I know. In 1 Timothy verse 6, Paul says this in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If possessions, if stuff possesses you, then you do not truly know life. 
It is only when those things are held in an open hand that Jesus is truly exalted in you and you grab hold of the life that he has for you. Try to think of it like this. You cannot hold the life that he has for you and, and the life that you're trying to attain at the same time. You got to let one go to hold the other. If you want the life that Jesus has for you, you've got to let go of everything else. That doesn't mean you'll lose everything else, but it certainly means that there may come a time where you have to give that up. You know, as I was preparing this, I thought about the stuff that I have. I don't have a lot of stuff, but I have, you know, a couple of guitars, a car. There's certain things that, for me, there's a line. I could give up this, this, and this, but that's a necessity. But what if the Lord actually said, hey, give that up? What would I do? And that'd be tough. I'd be making sure. I'd be getting wise counsel. I'd be asking people to pray with me. I think this is what the Lord's telling me to do, but I don't know. It seems big. I would pursue, but I think at the end I'd have what, – what other choice would I have? I think I'd have to do that. I wouldn't hope I, I hope I wouldn't have to, but I have to believe that if the Lord's calling me to do that, then he's got something else for me. That in his divine providence that he's going to supply my every need. That, that, that I'm to be rich in generosity, as, as Paul tells Timothy, and that the Lord's going to give me true life. Not because I've given up things, but because I'm no longer holding on to, I'm never, no longer idolizing stuff. There's a way to have stuff that does not glorify Jesus, and that looks a lot like a child and, and their, their favorite stuffed animal and not wanting to share that with anybody. And there's a way that glorifies Jesus, and that's the life that whatever I get, cool, Jesus, you're the best. And if it's time for that stuff to go, man, God, thank you that I get to bless somebody else. Thank you that I get to give to somebody else. Thank you that, that as one thing leaves my hand, I, I know you're going to put something else there. I'm not even saying that in a greedy way. I'm not saying that in an expectant way. I just know that that's how you work. I just know that you love me that way. And as I get to bless others, you bless me even more. We will never, ever, ever outgive God. We will never give more than he has given to us. I cannot tell you how many times I have been tested, A, and failed, B, uh, actually followed through with that test, and given away something only to be blessed 5, 10, 15 times more than I ever could have given away. And I've never seen God fall. And even, even in those times where I gave away something and I didn't receive something tangible, the idea of being a part of, of what God was doing, that was such a great reward. Just, God, you, wow, I get to be a part of that person's life. They're going to remember that. They're, I get to be a part of their story. I get, to, I get to remember how I helped them for the rest of my life. And, and, and then there's people who do that for me. And they'll come and tell me that it's just, it just being part of what God is doing is enough for me. Part of this retreat that we did, I was telling John this earlier as well, because John and I talk a lot, I guess. Um... It's a retreat for families with kids with cancer, and they have a waiting list, but not for the families, for the volunteers. Within five to ten minutes of opening up their, their um, call for volunteers on January 1st, they have all the families they need for the rest of the year. And everybody else is told, wait till next year. And so for these families, what they do is they then, for like a family of four, let's say, they have to raise $3,500 to pay for themselves to go to this to be able to volunteer then they have to take time off from work many of them this is their vacation for the year they get to go and they get to serve and then their kids have to take off time from school which some kids are probably like okay with that but they still have to make up the work when they get back and you get there and you don't find people who are bitter none of these volunteers with the exception of two couples had kids who ever went through cancer they were just ready to serve you and love you. Had a little 12-year-old girl, I think she was 12, maybe 11, name was Odessa, sweetest little girl, Mr. Tony, can I carry your plate for you during lunchtime? Yes. Yes, you can. You got big arms. That'll work. Get two plates. You're going to get Mr. Tony some food. Um, and it wasn't like, oh, Tony wants more food, or oh, i got to help Tony. It was like, I just want to help you. I just want to help you. I, I just want to love you. Yeah, this is, this is good. You know what that made me want? It made me want to help them. 
It made me want to go and serve them, but they won't let you. No, no, we, we got to serve you. All right, well, let me get you a drink. Nope. All right, fine. I'll come back one day and serve, I guess. For these, for these types of people, these people who, who have met Jesus and realize that it's not, I better serve so God loves me. It's God loves me, so I want to serve. I better love God so I don't lose my stuff. Man, I love God, and then he gives me stuff. And then I get to use that stuff. I get to use my life for the people. This is how God has intended us to live. The great promise, Jesus says in, in verse 29, And everyone who has, ha has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. The caveat here is leaving or or giving up something for Jesus' sake. You know, if you just blow your money at the casino, you're not losing money for Jesus' sake. Um, if you're foolish with your stuff, that's that's not the same thing. But if you say, Lord, I'm going to leave my dad's home or my father's home. I'm going to leave my hometown. I'm going to give up the job with the bigger paycheck. I'm going to drive the car that isn't the newest model. I'm going to live in an area that is less than desirable. I'm, uh, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait to start my career uh, because you want me to serve in this capacity, in this place, at this time. The good news is that those who, who for the sake of Jesus, give up things, they gain so much more. And it even goes beyond... I mean, first, we've already gotten Jesus. If, if God gives us nothing else than just his son, can we, really, can we really stand back and say we've been cheated? No. No, it's ridiculous. The fact that he gives more is it, just that much more beautiful. That's kind of like a headlight donut. I had a headlight donut today. Love headlight donuts. I can only eat like one of them, though, before going to a diabetic coma. So you guys know what I, I always forget the name of a headlight. Like, I go to Dunn's. And I, I that's a headlight, and they're like, yeah, the taillights are red, like taillights on a car. I'm like, that's right, I'm an idiot. But the beauty of a of a of a headlight is a donut with chocolate glaze. I mean, that's a donut enough, right? I mean, you walk away with a donut like that, that's a good donut. But then they put that dollop of cream right on top. And it's like, oh, it's 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 like donutzilla. It's just so much more. And, and, and yeah, you're going to pay for it later, but this is good. This is, this is what life is all about. God gives us Jesus and so much more. God gives us Jesus, and he gives us life to enjoy. He gives us, well, not for some time, but he gives us sun in this area intermittently. I've been to Florida. It absolutely shines in other places. Um, and, and he just gives to us so much. Now, have we lost a lot of things? Yeah. We have. We've, we've all lost. But can we walk away from God saying he's taken too much? No, he's given us Jesus. And so tonight I just want to pray with you. If we need to repent, we need to repent. You know, No big deal. Repenting is good. Repenting is necessary. It's not about what we can get from God. It's not about what we can give up for God. It's about, Lord, what, what would you have me do? And how can I walk closer to you? What's, what's the old hymn? Just a closer walk with thee. That, that's one of my favorite hymns. That, that, that's, if we can get to a place where that's our only desire, just a closer walk with Jesus, whether we get or lose is really not going to matter. For the person who has given everything to the Lord, what can Satan take from them? Nothing. Nothing. So let's pray together, and then we'll go home. Jesus, Oh, man, we love you. you. We read your scriptures. We read about this young man, and I don't want to, I don't want to like come down on him too hard. You know, look, look down upon him as this man who met Jesus and made a stupid decision. I don't want to come down too hard, Lord, because honestly, there have been times where where I would have did exactly what this man has done, this young, very rich man. But Lord, I, I praise you. I thank you that you have shown me and us time and time again that you are a God who is far richer. 
you're a God who is a much better rewarder. That you are much, just you yourself are better than any of the stuff this world can provide. And that, Lord, that we've been, we've been sold a bill of goods by our, by our culture that tells us somehow or some way that we are poor. That we are below poverty level, or we're, or we're lower class, or middle class, or whatever. Lord, uh, I would be ungrateful if I came to you and said that I was poor. As I look around at my life, and I look around at the friends and family you've given me, and, and the place that you've placed me, and I just look and say, wow, Lord, you've done so much for an unworthy sinner. I've got, I've got clean water, and good food and, and heat in my home and a house that is dry and I have I have beautiful children and a beautiful wife and three dogs that get on my nerves and Lord you just do so much. You've given so much to me and I know if we were around the room we would just we just name off blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Lord truly we have we have lost as well. Some of us have lost our health. Some of us have lost loved ones, spouses, and friends, and neighbors. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have lost wealth, more wealth than I've ever even looked at, Lord. But Lord, we also know that you're a good, loving, and a God who rewards. And the promise of verse 29, that nobody who's given up for your namesake will, will, will not gain so much more. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to read these promises and not look to find the thing you're going to give us but confidently walk knowing that you will take care of us. You know, I don't know where the scripture is, but there's the scripture that talks about how two, uh, you know, a sparrow doesn't fall from the sky or a bird doesn't fall from the sky without you knowing about it. The very hairs on our head are numbered. Lord, you know us. You know our proclivities. You know our, our tendencies. Lord, I just pray that you continue to be patient with us and open our eyes to the reality, not our culture, not our nation, not our, not our lineage or our heritage, but what we have in you, in Jesus. And if we need to repent, Lord, give us opportunity to repent. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.